So we are in uh, this mixtape series uh, we've been doing for the summer, and if you're anything like me, and I know that I am, uh, you like more than one genre of music. I am, I'm a classic rock fan. I mean, that's one of those things, I'll start singing a song up in my office, and Corey will hear it downstairs in his office and finish singing it. Uh, I like 80s hair bands, you know. Oh, I got a, got a few of you. 90s country. I expected a few more of you there. The early 2000s country, there's some pop and alternative Michael Jackson, some uh, the presidents of the United States of America, that guy over there knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you have a lot of that stuff. You have worship music and Christian artists like Zach Williams and For King and Country and David Crowder and Hillsong, and the list could just go on and on and on. But I, I love a variety of music. And for me, a good mixtape, a good burn CD... I have this burned CD. I was doing some cleaning the other week. I shared it with Kim. And the title on the CD is, What Was I Thinking? <laughs> and it went from ACDC to Elvis Presley to Brooks and Dunn. To, and it's like, wow. It was weird. But a good playlist has a mix of all those things. But the thing about it is, a playlist has to be more than just one song. You can't have a playlist with just one song. It's just not there. And as we get ready to open our Bible this morning, there's something I want you to see. To have a good playlist, you have to have a collection of songs. And to have a good and full life, you have to have a collection of people. You and I were made to live in community with others. So if you stand with me this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 18. It says this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not not found a helper fit for him. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at this and as we begin to look at what it is to be in community, God, that you begin to open our minds and our hearts to those people around us. Father, help us to have your mindset. And God, as we go through this, may these be your words spoken through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat and uh, turn to the person beside you and say, hey, you're doing all right today. So, in the beginning of the Bible, God has created everything. And as he's doing so, after, after each thing he creates, he goes, it is good. God creates the sun and the moon and the stars, and he's like, it's good. God separates the, the land from the water, and he creates the plants and the trees, and he's like, it's good. And after each day God creates something, he looks at it and goes, it is good. Up until God sees man all alone. And so God is thinking, Adam needs a helper. So he brings all the animals that he's created, and he has them go by Adam to be named. And as he's doing that, Adam is looking for a helper fit for him. Now, if you will imagine the situation with me for a moment, God's created this big old animal that wallows in the water and runs 40 miles an hour and looks wonderful and fluffy but will kill you. And Adam looks at it and goes, hippopotamus. 
and he sees another great big animal that's got a horn sticking out of it. You're thinking unicorn, but no, 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 rhinoceros. And Adam's like, yeah, that one's not, that one's not going to be a great helper. And he's going through this process. He sees the ox and the horse, and he's naming them as he goes. And they're like, these things are good for working in the field, good for helping me out. He's got this other one that's really stubborn, and he's thinking of a different name, but it's donkey. And uh, you can tell as he's going along, there's this process is going along, and he, he gets to the dog, and he's like, boy, the dog, man's best friend. This thing is loyal. This thing is great. It's not a suitable helper. And as Adam's going through this process, what I find most interesting here is Adam's naming these animals, he's not finding anything that's a suitable helper, is that when God said it's not good for Adam to be alone, it's not good for man to be alone, Adam was in perfect relationship with God at that moment. There was no sin separating Adam from God. There was nothing going on that that was interfering with that relationship. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. And God was like, it's not good for him to be alone. See, while our relationship with God is so vitally important to our lives, it cannot and will never replace our need for community with other people. See, God knew we needed someone like us. And as fun as our pets may be, as fun as those things are, we need other people. And as knowing as some people may be, Corey, you need them in your life. In his book, uh, Whiter Than Snow, Meditations on Sin and Mercy, Paul Tripp says this, We weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in humble, worshipful, and loving obedience upon God and in a loving and humble interdependence with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects. Yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when people around us point out our weaknesses or are wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources God has given us. Guess what? We need each other. Our own physical health will tell us the same thing. We, we just came through all this COVID and isolation and stuff like that, but a lack of social interaction leads to cardio, cardiovascular problems like heart disease, increased blood pressure. It's associated with higher risks of anxiety, depression, and an increased risk of dementia. To top that off, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University did a study that showed a lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's almost a pack a day. Our lack of connection severely hurts our health. So we were made and we need community. We're going to look at this from the beginning a little bit. Genesis chapter 1 says this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, and all that that's there. Let us, in our, after our. This repeated use of that plural is the, is the consistency that we need to see that God is Trinity. God's a three-in-one nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
And just as God is in community with himself, he's made us to be in community. Jesus says something very similar, or shows us something very similar in John chapter 14, over in the New Testament. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, who leads into all truth. God the Son, Jesus, prays to God the Father to send us God the Holy Spirit. God in community created us to be in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in community with one another created us to be in community with other people. We need other people in our lives. Jesus is a great example of this. Jesus didn't do ministry all by himself. He had disciples. He had this large group of believers on the day of Pentecost. There's 120 disciples waiting in the upper room, waiting for what Jesus told them to wait for. At one point in Jesus' ministry, he sends out 72 disciples. Jesus had his 12 disciples who we read about him in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. But more than that, Jesus had a closer relationship with three of them. These three are Peter, James, and John. The inner three, as they are often referred to, were witnesses to things that other disciples didn't see. They got to see Jesus at his absolute best. Check this out. Mark chapter 9. It says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we were here let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what he was saying, for he was terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of heaven, or a voice out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, there no longer uh, saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. See, Jesus had three friends who got to witness what nobody else got to witness. Jesus brought Peter, James, and John along with for this, this awesome moment in his ministry. It's almost like if you were to get Vikings tickets to the Super Bowl, because it seems about as possible as what we just saw with Jesus, and you, and you can take three people with you. Who are you taking? Check this one out. Mark chapter 5. Starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again the boat the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers from the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And so as they travel along, this, this that happens, the crowd's pushing around Jesus, and this woman cut, comes along and touches Jesus' garment, and they have this exchange, and she's healed. And as all this is happening, one of Jairus' servants comes and says, don't, don't bother Jesus any longer. Your daughter, daughter has died. And Jesus, hearing it, says, no, no, we're going to go. And so they begin to finish the walk to his house. It says this down in verse 37. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and went where the child was. Taking her by the hand, they said to her, Talitha Kumani, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. See, Peter, James, and John got to see things the other disciples didn't. They got to be part of Jesus' life in a way that nobody else was. Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus at his best moments. Who is that in your life? Who gets to see or hear about your best moments? Who gets to celebrate with you first? We all have family, which is great, but you need other people in your life. Not only that, but Peter, James, and John also got to see Jesus in some of his hardest moments. Matthew chapter 26. Starting in verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them asleep, for they were, or their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. The same passage in Luke 22 shows us that in this process, Jesus was so, so burdened with what he had to carry that he was actually sweating blood. And as you can imagine, as he's going back and forth between praying and going back to Peter, James, and John, he's under distress. Those disciples have to see it on his face. They have to see those things there. They see the, a side of Jesus that no one else got to see. When Jesus needed three people, he chose his closest friends. For me, I can list off four or five people who are part of those closest friends, but one of them is my buddy Nate. I met him when I was in, in Bible college, and we worked together, and we, we just had this bond. And as life happened, we got to just know each other and share life with each other, and when the good things happen in my life, I still call my buddy Nate. And when something hard happens in my life, I call my buddy Nate. When we found out Joan had cancer, after we told our family, I called my buddy Nate. We hadn't told anybody else but family, but Nate was on that list. And when I got engaged in April, I called my buddy Nate said, hey, get married again. 
when I first moved back to Minnesota from Springfield after going to, to Bible college, I'm pastoring over in Freeport, and I met this guy named Kyle, pastor of this church over in Sauk Center. And it wasn't long that we had made a friendship. He was one of those guys I could call when it's like, hey, I got this thing going on in ministry. What do you, what do you think? And soon it became a friendship where we're sitting down, we're having lunch, and he's letting me know when he's, you know, Nora was going to be born, and we got to be part of that. One Sunday night after Joan passed, right over here, I cried on his shoulder for about 15 minutes. When I got done, he's like, dude, what's going on? I, I just needed someone to, to hug and cry on. We need those people in our lives. We need those people that we are close to that we can call in a moment, that we can grab onto when life's hard, who can see us in the midst of triumphs and who can see us in the midst of difficulties. Who are those people for you? And while you need that close group of two to four friends, two to five, you also need like a small group of people. To truly build community around you, you need that group of people. Jesus had his 12 disciples. The 12 disciples had each other. You can see it kind of throughout their lives. But I want to take a look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the church is growing. And you begin to see this idea of how this small group of people really begins to work. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. or Yeah, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. These are the people who were living life together. These are the people in your life who you invite over for meals. After church, you say, hey, let's go hit up the truck stop or the Mexican restaurant or all those kind of things. These are the people that your kids play sports with and you know pretty well and you, you live life together with that daily life, whoever those people are those people who are involved in your daily life. Look at it again, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and verse 46. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Verse 46. And, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. These people went to church together. They studied together. They ate food together. This was a small group of people, the best people who could fit in your house. Enough people that you could feed on a regular basis. They were family with one another, but they weren't blood relatives. They walked beside each other day by day in life. This was that small group of people. In the spring of 22, my first wife, Joan, and I, we led a small group. And in that small group, we got to know a few people. It's where I met Andrea Kerfeld. It's where I met Mark and Sue Coleman. It's where I met Dave Richter. And in those eight weeks, as we kind of shared life together and we studied the Bible together, we had to know each other. We had to know about each other's lives. We had to dig in with each other a little bit. 
our small group would share a little bit of a meal from time to time, and we had fun. After Joan passed, it was Andrea who sent me flowers. In September, I was kind of in this spot where I had been hanging out with people a little bit, but I didn't want to commit to too much. And one, one evening in September, Sue calls me. She's like, hey, you had mentioned doing a small group last spring. Are you doing that? I don't see it on the list of small groups. Like, no, I was, I was thinking I was just going to take the fall off and not do much. And she goes, oh, well, how would you do it as just a practice group? You can do it at my house. We'll even make food. We'll practice it, and then you can do it again in a bigger group later. I went, okay. She twisted my arm. But it's exactly what I needed. It's where I got to meet Michelle Rust. It's where I got to meet Emily Bailey. It's where we got to pour into each other's lives. I got to know Mark and Sue on a much deeper level. We shared a meal every day, every week. We sat together. We, we started at 6 and often wouldn't end until 9, 9.30. And while it f- you would think that would be a lot of pressure and a lot of things, it was the most relaxing evening I had all week. Because I had friends who were willing to listen, friends who were willing to pour into me. See, we were, we were made for community. As much as we don't want to admit it, as much as I could have taken that fall and just kind of pulled away and done my own thing and isolated myself, I stepped into community. God never intended us to do on this life on our own. So we need these close friends. And we have to have a small group of people around us who know us and can talk to us and walk beside us. We can eat with them, we can have fun with them. But there's one more thing to community that we desperately need and is important. And that's this group right here. We need that large group of people to do life with as a large group of believers. Whether it's 20 or 30 in a small church or whether it's almost 600 on a Sunday like that meets here. It's vital to our walk with God to be connected to a group of people who believe together, who are willing to work together for furthering God's kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, a little further on in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes this, For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you catch that? That together, even though individually we carry the presence of God with us, together we are the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles, and Jesus is that cornerstone. Each of us who believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we carry that presence of God with us. But when we come together like this, it's more, it's beyond belief what happens. 
We gather together to pray. We gather together to do those things. We're the dwelling place of God. And all this brings me to one of my, my favorite little passages of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and verse 25. And this only happens in this setting. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God created us for community. And it is in community that we learn to love others. It's in this community that we begin to share our lives. It's in this community that we, that we are doing what the church is meant to do. When I first lost Joan, it was this community that showed me so much love. A few Sundays after Joan passed, I was sitting right over here. And Jennifer Mulgren comes in. I'm sitting all by myself. And she just comes in and sits next to me. When I was alone, it was community that encouraged me. It was right over here. A few Sundays after that, I'm sitting by myself, and Andrea moves from behind me to sit next to me. Community. So in the foyer, that Sunday after Sunday, Cheryl would see me and give me a hug. It's community was in this building that people, so many people those first few months and the year since who talked with me, who've prayed with me, who said, hey, if you need a friend, if you need something to do, why don't you come join us, do this thing. It was my friends who invited me out to do things. It was my church family who walked beside me. I could have walked away, I could have isolated myself, but it was those friends and this community that gave me a place to belong and the community to walk with. And I know there's going to be people there and say, yeah, that's, that's great for you. I've been here this many years and no one's done that for me. I'm sorry. Well, my question is, have you let them? Friendships aren't a passive thing. You don't walk into them by accident. They take effort. They take purpose. You can't walk in late and leave early. You can't not you can't sign up, you know, not sign up for things. You have to give people a chance. You have to give people that opportunity to walk alongside you. Have you signed up for life groups? Have you signed up to volunteer anywhere? Have you tried helping out with VBS, Light the Night, the Fair Booth? Have you asked Corey about being a youth sponsor, youth leader? Have you asked any of the pastors, hey, I want to help out with this thing? Just last week, sitting at the Fair Booth, got to hang out with Brad and Opie. Obi. <laughs> Weird group of guys, but they were fun. <laughs> but you don't enter into those things passively. It takes effort. Relationships take time. And oftentimes, quality is found in quantity. I was talking with this with Corey this week, and he's like, yeah, just hanging out, 
playing with kids with another guy, and pretty soon we're talking about these deep things, was found in the midst of quantity. It wasn't a planned thing. It wasn't anything like that. It may take years of hanging out with people to find quality conversations, to find quality friends, but it's worth it. And those people you begin to build community around, they may hurt you. They may say things that upset you. They may offend you. They may cause you to question what's really going on in your life or even that if they're really your friends. But those things are important because if we walk with humility, if we're willing to ask those people questions, if we're willing to truly seek and understand who they are, we begin to build those friendships the worship team would come back up. See, in the beginning, God created all of us. He created man. And even though there was that perfect relationship between the two of them, God knew it wasn't enough for Adam. He needed someone like him. You need real people in your life. And as fun as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those things are, they don't count as real interaction. You need face-to-face time with real people, real human beings that have an opportunity to know who you are. As we go into this time of response, if you guys would stand with me. I want to take a moment, and I want you to take a moment and begin to ask God who it is that you need to reach out to. Maybe it's someone that needs a friend maybe it's someone that you need to be a friend with maybe it's someone that just needs to know that you're there maybe it's someone you need to go hang out with get coffee or lunch or invite them over to hang out whatever it is as we go into this time response just take this time and maybe ask God Who is it that could use a friend like me? We need community, but we also need that relationship with God. We need that connection with who he is. It's two pieces. We need God and we need each other. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity if you've never had that relationship with God, if you've never relied on him for that salvation piece. It's not, it's not confirmation. It's not being baptized in water. It's not having communion like we did this morning. None of those things enter us into relationship with God. The Bible says that it's belief. It's a heart change in us. And putting our faith in who he is. So this morning I want to give you that opportunity. Everyone take a moment just bow their heads. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never put your your belief in who he is, you may have gone to church, you may have gone through confirmation classes, you may have taken First Communion, you may have been baptized. But if you've never said, God, I believe in who you are, and God, I want to have a relationship with you. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if that's you this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to just raise your hand and say, I want to enter into a relationship with God. I want to count God as a friend.
God, we thank you for who you are. That your word says that you truly are a friend to us. That you've called us and made us yours. And God, this morning as we just continue on with this day, God, I pray that you go alongside us. As a friend, walk with us every place we may go. And God, help us begin to see those other people in our lives who may need a friend. And God, if that's us, if we're in that place where we need somebody, God, I pray that you'd help to show us who that is. God, that you'd help us to start that conversation with somebody. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you do. God, you're so worthy of so much in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.